mitochondria were just two ancient bacteria that became hosts, where one absorbed a host, and they were around before humans. And therefore, they are an integral part of our health. And understanding their their role, how they work, how it can improve them, uh, really gives us some targeted strategies of why we do things in a certain way. You're listening to The Fitness Industry Podcast, powered by Australian Fitness Network. For articles, resources, and inspiration to grow your fitness business and career, go to fitnessnetwork.com.au, where you can also find a huge range of online and face-to-face courses, accredited for CECs and other continuing education points, with up to a massive 40% discount for members of Australian Fitness Network. In this episode, exercise physiologist Tony Bataji talks how to enhance health and prolong life by expanding the volume of mitochondria in your body, what type of training is most effective for doing this, and the role that nutrient timing can play in the process with Network's Oliver Kitchingman. Tony, welcome to the Fitness Industry Podcast. Ollie, great to be here with you. In fact, this is our second time we've had you, so uh, welcome twice. It's good to be back. Okay, Tony, first up, mitochondria. This is one of the topics you're you're quite passionate about at the moment. Can you just give us a refresher and explain exactly what mitochondria is? Oh, sure, sure. So mitochondria is contained in all muscle cells, and it is the site where we burn our energy for muscle contraction. So we often get a little bit obsessed in our industry with... CrossFit, lifting weights, bodybuilding, whatever the activity is. And we often forget that the powerhouse in the cell that actually combusts all of our fuel is performed in the mitochondria. The more mitochondria we have, the more sites of oxygen transport and the more we can move our muscles. Okay. If it's so important, why why is it often overlooked, as you say, in favor of the dominant focus on skeletal muscle? Has our understanding of its role been limited until now? Well, that's a really great question because in science, there's an enormous amount of interest in mitochondria. But in the fitness industry, we often actually don't know what the mitochondria is. And I think that was the major impetus why I wanted to deliver a talk on it this year at Phylex. To answer your question, I think there isn't a focus because we can't see them. I think it's just as simple as that. We're obsessed with myofibrillar protein or or contractile proteins because we want them to be bigger, stronger, faster we want less fat around them on and on and on but mitochondria you can't see and you can't really know if you're making progress how do you measure your mitochondria how do you know you're getting more of it how do you know you have mitochondrial dysfunction we don't really know so it's one of these silent under the radar aspects of our muscle and our health where so much is going on and really is the vast orchestrator of our health our metabolic health our aging, uh, how muscles contract, how they burn lipid, how we dispose of fats and so forth. It all happens in mitochondria. So there is an enormous interest from researchers across discipline, whether they're diabetic researchers or medical researchers looking at mitochondrial wasting and muscle muscle wasting disorders. Uh, Endurance athletes have always been very interested in it because the more mitochondria you have, the 
better your endurance performance as one of the three determinants of endurance performance along with VO2 max and economy. So it's one of these aspects that the scientists know about and understand the importance. But we as personal trainers, we really do overlook it in favor of protein consumption and growing muscles in a bigger way. And I always tell my students that be just as focused on protein for muscle growth as you should be on protein for mitochondrial growth. So how can we make it sexy for PTs? How can you make how can you make this something that that personal trainers are going to actually focus on? Because as you say, you know, if they're working with clients, then visible, tangible results is is a good kind of marker for them or for their clients or of the progress they're making. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, how can this work? Well, that's a a good question. How do we make it more sellable? A lot of the exercise that we do is actually targeting mitochondria without us really knowing it, and. Every time we're performing aerobic training, or in particular aerobic training prior to breakfast, sometimes when people take pre-workouts or take a coffee before exercise, little do we know that that is actually affecting pathways that turn on mitochondrial growth. In the endurance-trained athlete, has kilos and kilos of mitochondria. A, a, a Tour de France cyclist might have 7 to 10 kilos of their total weight in mitochondria. We know less about the role of weight training in mitochondria, but... How do we make that sellable? Well, as as long as a personal trainer understands that virtually every aspect of our health involves mitochondria to some level, whether it's mitochondria in the brain, mitochondria in our organs, and most importantly, mitochondria in our muscles, that's where you're disposing of all of your glucose and lipids eventually. That's where it's being metabolized. The more you have, the, the better you perform. So you could say that perhaps a a surrogate way of measuring mitochondria would be that your performance is improving over a given time trial or a rowing test or how fast you can run five kilometers. That's a way of saying, well, perhaps I'm growing more mitochondria, but you can't measure it, not outside of a laboratory. Therefore, I don't really have a good idea of, of how we can make that sexy, except it's good for your health. And the more you have of it, the healthier you are, the healthier you will age. Okay. And is, this, is it an area that scientists have been researching, particularly in recent years? It is. There's a three, four decades worth of mitochondria. Many of the early studies just looked at enzymes involved in mitochondrial growth. Now these mitochondria can actually be measured and you can measure protein turnover in the mitochondria called mitophagy. There's not many departments in the world who can actually scan and look at mitochondria, but these are organisms that predate humans. And I think we forget that is that mitochondria were just two ancient bacteria that became hosts where one absorbed a host and they were around before humans. And therefore they are an integral part of our health and understanding their, their role, how they work, how we can improve them. Uh, it really gives us some targeted strategies of why we do things in a certain way. Okay, so if PTs should be aiming to train clients in a way that increases mitochondria, what would that training look like? Would it be more strength training based or more HIIT based? Well, our knowledge, as I mentioned, on resistance training in mitochondria is only just scratching the surface. We know that muscle contraction is the key driver for the signals for muscle to grow mitochondria. And there's a handful of studies showing that weight training does increase those signals. But we have an enormous amount of research on the growth of mitochondria and its function. And they're two slightly different things. So research has shown in the last few years that 
the volume of exercise you do, i.e. continuous training, long, steady work, seems to grow the mitochondrial beds, so you have more of them. But we know it's where you're working at intensity, interval training, sprint interval training, where there's a start-stop, but you're really redlining the muscle. And we know that that is a signal not so much to grow new mitochondria, but that that mitochondria works well, that it functions well, it does its job properly. And we know it's involved in this process called mitophagy, which is mitochondrial recycling. And you turn over faulty, malfunctioning mitochondria with healthy, functioning mitochondria. Therefore, those two types of exercise really have had the most emphasis in research. Researchers from Canada over the last few years has tried to say, well, what would be better if you matched them for time? So if you did interval training and you did continuous training, well, in a very ingenious research design, they were able to do single leg cycling with the counterbalance on the other side, and they performed continuous exercise with one leg and took muscle biopsies to measure mitochondria and its enzyme function, and the other leg did interval training, but they matched it. So if pushed for an answer, you would say that interval training probably has a more profound effect on mitochondria dynamics, Mm -hmm. but you're not going to do interval training every day. So that's uh, an interesting aspect. The time of day also seems to have a really interesting effect, or should we say the fuel status? Mm -hmm. So until recently, it was thought that food was food. It was digested, metabolized, and created muscular work. But now we understand that carbohydrate in particular is also a signaling molecule. And that means that Muscle detects its presence or its absence and either ramps up or damps down the signal that you're getting from training. And this is really important to understand because muscle nutritionists are now saying that the nutritional status of the muscle is as important as the training stimulus. And forever it was thought that it was all about training. But now we understand that there's this interaction between training and nutrition, which is actually driving the adaptation. So muscle can detect whether there's fuel, and in particular carbohydrate, whether you ingest it during it, just before it, whether it's still stored in there the night before. But if muscle detects an absence of carbohydrate availability, it tends to ramp up the signals that tell the mitochondria to grow. And therefore, training first thing in the morning before breakfast or training in the afternoon, depleting glycogen, going to bed after a high-fat, high-protein dinner, waking up in the morning and training before breakfast, we know that really drives up the signal to grow mitochondria. So these are clever ways you can use the training nutrition interaction to get actually more, get more results for free, so to speak. So it's more about the timing than the actual, than what you're putting in. Exactly. Exactly. There's lots of ways to train what are called low, and that means low in muscle glycogen availability. You can just eat a low carb diet but we know that that has some downsides to it. You lose your metabolic flexibility from jumping from carbohydrate to fat. One for healthy mitochondria should be able to burn fats well and carbohydrates well. So the other options are training twice in a day where one session is done well-fed, you deplete carbohydrate stores, and the next session is done without providing for carbohydrate. You can train in the morning before breakfast. That typically means that your liver is depleted, but your muscles are not, so you tend to have to go a little bit longer. But uh, most people like the idea of periodizing their nutrition throughout the day. In other words, performing some sessions fed and then not replacing that carbohydrate and doing a few sessions without carbohydrate and then refeeding again, then you get the best of both worlds. You're metabolically flexible 
your muscle is faced with the presence of having to burn fat or having to burn carbohydrate and mitochondria thrive in those changes of fuel availability. So does supplementation play a role at all in mitochondrial growth mm-hmm. as well? Given mitochondria is so intimately involved with health and aging, there has been enormous interest both from pharmacological agents and natural foods to see if we can boost this. Because the the driver of mitochondrial growth called PGC1-alpha has been identified, there has been enormous interest of trying to get medications or foods that actually drive up. The animal studies showed that a few agents seem to be promising, but the human studies aren't as robust with that. So the things that work in mice, for example, or in flies, things like resveratrol and coercidin and CoQ10 and lipoic acid, they all seem to show promise for driving up markers of mitochondria or mitochondria itself. But when you look at these in human studies, they just don't seem to have the exciting results, especially not when you compare them to what one session of training would be. But there appears to be some minor evidence for green tea, the catechins that are found in green tea, coffee and caffeine, they seem to have the most robust benefits. And given that most people would have a coffee or a green tea prior to training, there doesn't seem to be too many downsides. But most of the other compounds like the polyphenols and cocoa, grape skins, so forth, they don't seem to translate from mouse studies to human studies. Anything else our listeners should know about mitochondria? Well, I would always tell clients that you have to love your mitochondria and they'll love you back. Uh, All of my general public clients now understand about mitochondria because that's the final fate of all of your food. It will be metabolized in your mitochondria. And the more mitochondria can be faced with a challenge of fats, carbohydrates and proteins, so it's good at burning different substrates, the more metabolically flexible you are, the less likely you will develop lipid issues or glycemic issues like type 2 diabetes. We now know that we do different types of exercise that are working on trying to make the function of mitochondria work at its highest level or to build the beds in it. And every time a client does get a DEXA, I say, don't forget, three to five kilograms of your total weight is actually mitochondria. And so we encourage some fasted state training, some fed training, some interval training, some continuous training, weight training. We don't really know what it does, but we know it's important. And then we let them know that the habits that they have of uh, drinking cocoa, green tea, coffee, they all seem to have benefit for healthy mitochondrial aging. So it's one of these really fascinating fields that PTs are doing, but actually don't really realize why they're doing it. Thank you, Tony. If listeners want to find out anything more about you and your work, anywhere they can find that out? Sure. I'm on Twitter a little bit. It's just my name, Tony Bataji. And I'm on Facebook a little bit which is Bataji Fitness Institute, one word, and uh, my name, TonyBataji.com. Tony, thanks again for talking to the Fitness Industry Podcast. Always a pleasure, Ollie, anytime. For a range of online courses focusing on exercise science, including The Mighty Mitochondria by Tony Bataji, head to the network website, And remember, network members make big savings on this and all other courses offered by network. Go to fitnessnetwork.com.au slash CECs today to grow your skill set and fitness career.